This is Talking Devils Christmas special podcast. I'm your host Wayne Barton, joined not by Paul Parker this time, but um, someone able to step in as a substitute, my best mate, um, and everyone's best mate. <laughs> everyone's best mate, Dave Murphy, all the way in California. Dave, how are you doing, mate? You all right? Maybe, maybe not as many as many Premier League medals as Paul Parker, but just legendary in the United circles. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Legendary masters. No, no comments. <laughs> I, I know. I was like, yeah, that's a bit awkward. How do we move on from that? Um, no, Dave. Obviously, we we've done podcasts over the years, usually together. And um, the reason why you're never on with Paul Park on, on the Paul Parker show is because the Paul Parker show gets recorded at 10 a.m. UK time in the UK. Um, so people, you know, often ask, oh, when are you and Dave doing another podcast? And it's just one of those things. It's difficult, sort of not difficult to. Uh, pin down a time but you don't like me anymore and it's so difficult to sort of <laughs> nail you down into actually agreeing to talk to me for an hour um, No, no, I, I, I spoke to Paul about this and, and he said he wanted to move the timeline to suit me but you wouldn't do it <laughs> um, Yeah, it's absolutely great to talk football with you um, Obviously, as everyone knows, me and Dave are mates I've just said that, um, so we don't often talk about football as much as um, we um, do on the podcast So it's good to actually do that um, I guess the first thing is, we're two years into Ollie doing the job um, Dave. And by the way, this is going to be a sort of relaxed podcast We've got some questions in, and it's going to be a sort of general Where are United now, where do we think they're going and everything like that um, I guess it's suitable really that we've got only two years almost exactly in the job I think we're recording this two years to the day um, since his first game um, at, at Cardiff when one five one. not every game's been a 5-1 but um, the last game before this podcast was 6-2 so it suggests that um, something's going right although everything in between has been a bit of a mixed bag how do you summarise his reign I mean it's one thing I think when people look at anything in football, because everything's short term now, you look at things in the eye of the storm. You look at them in the moment. So if you've, we're looking at the back after two wins. If we were looking at this podcast now over the last week and there've been two losses, then suddenly it feels a lot more negative. And sometimes it feels a, a bit difficult for people to see the bigger picture. Um, and the bigger picture for United is. Um, put into perspective by what's happening at Spurs and the negativity there at the moment. I mean, yes, they, everyone were proclaiming them for, for the league title 10 days ago, but then they go and put in two massively negative performances. Mourinho plays um, in a manner that we've seen him play at Anfield with our team. And um, and he got his just desserts then as he did for us, um, which cost him his job. Um and I, I guess that's where I'm coming at with this one, Dave, when I'm asking you where, where, where you feel about how the two years have gone. Is I think people forget how bad it was. Um, you know, both of us have a fondness for Van Gaal, and yet the football under him was terrible. There was two years we didn't have a shot on goal against Southampton. Two years in a row. Didn't have a shot on goal against them at home. And... Um, and then obviously it was really bad under Mourinho those last few months, and I think people forget that when they um, when they summarise Solskjaer and they they still use this naivety against him. But he's been in the job for two years now, um, and United, you know, they finished third last season, and they're in 
a similar position now, a title challenge, everything like that. Where where do you summarise where we are at the moment? Um, and do you think that he's done a good job, an acceptable job, a poor job? Um. Okay. So I. It it it's hard to for me anyway to to summarise Solskjaer up in, in just you know based off uh, based off uh, his management in regard to the first team because that you know. That's where all managers are, George. But, but because we've gone through, you know, so many managers over the past few years, I think I think Solskjaer has to be graded in two different areas. Uh, one, obviously, on the pitch, how we're doing, and secondly, uh, off the pitch. Um, let's let's start with 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 on the pitch. Um, it's it's it, it has been a roller coaster. Let's be honest. Um, it, it's been a lot of ups, a lot of downs. There's been a lot of Naivety from him. I, I mean, there's there's some games tactically I, I don't understand it. Um, there's some games his team selections are a little bit baffling, and uh, you know there's other games where he goes out and he, he knocks it right out of the park and and we destroy teams. I think Solskjaer is still a, a work in progress, and two years down the road, I'm I'm still I'm still kind of happy with the job he's doing and, and a lot of that comes down to the fact of what I'll talk about in the second part which is the off the field part of his uh, part of his job that he's I think he's doing very well but but on the pitch Wayne I think it's 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 kind of difficult to really really gauge it because one week we're, we're really impressive the next we're not but you can't deny that he's getting a lot of good now we finished putting the table last year um I mean, in January we were 13, 14 points off of you know, fourth place, I believe, and, and we ended up finishing third. You know, mm-hmm. above Chelsea, above Leicester, who were who were really who were really doing well at that time. So Solskjaer has to be applauded for. That. And then you know we move into the next season, which is now, and and we're not that far off at this moment in time. I, I believe we've won every away game in the league so far. Mm-hmm. You know, one. Fun. One home win, one extra home win out of those, you know, terrible defeats that we had at home. We win our game in hand and we're top of the league by a point. That, I mean, that's... But you, you hit the nail on the head earlier on. People forget. They, they forget. They're still longing for a manager in Jose Mourinho that completely destroyed all of our club. And people forget how bad it was back then. They look at Mourinho... And, you know, a week ago, he was top of the table. A week later, he's six points behind. Watch the crumble start. Watch, watch the real Mourinho come out now. But people forget that because they see Mourinho top of the table and all of a sudden, Solskjaer is a terrible manager. You know, we should have kept Josie. People are still pointing for Mourinho two years later because they have very, very short memories. Mm-hmm. There's, there's too much of this you know, trigger-happy um, firing of managers, not just the Manchester United, but across the board. I mean, West Brom, sacked their manager to bring in San Allardyce after drawing at Man City. You know, what, what, what's that all about? But un- unfortunately, that's the, the business we're in now because that's what it is. It's a business. But to round up the initial question, I'm still happy with, with what Solskjaer is doing at United. I am a little bit confused at times by his team selection, but I used to be confused at Fergie's team selections at times. Mm. Um, this is, you know, this is why he's in that job. He's there to make those decisions. Overall, I'm happy um, on the pitch. I, you know, it's been a very weird season this year. A very weird season. You know, 
We had Everton go to Leicester a few weeks ago and win 2 0. We had Liverpool getting smacked by Aston Villa 7 0. We got smashed by Spurs 6 1. You know, and I, I got to tell you, fans play a massive, massive part on match day. They mm. really do. Um, these results would not be happening. I'm convinced of it if fans were inside the ground. So this league is wide open at this moment in time. Wide open. Mm. Liverpool, I don't believe, are going to run away with it. I think their their away form is going to hamper them. It's going to just take a little bit of consistency by the chase and pack to catch up with them. Now, they're not that far off. I mean, if Manchester, Manchester United played their game in hand against Burnley tomorrow on one, it would be two points behind them. You know? Um, that's what people need to remember, that this is a very weird season. And a lot of managers are struggling with results across all clubs. Dolcher isn't doing the too bad of a job. No. Off the pitch, I think he had, you know, equally as big a task as on it. You and I discussed this in the past, Wayne. Jose Mourinho ripped the soul out of Manchester United. From, from, from you know, the old cliche from the tea lady all the way up to the first team. He ripped the soul out of that club. You know it, I know it. You know, we were privy to, a, you know, a lot more inside information than, than a lot of fans. And we've seen it. You and I discussed it, you know, privately. And even on one of the podcasts, we, we talked about some of it. Um, but the problem was that Ole had to fix that as well. And he's done an absolutely tremendous job on that. He's mm-hmm. gone back. He's, has he been restricted by the board? 100%. And I want to come back to that in a minute. Um, he's been restricted by the board 100%, but he's gone in there and he's gone back to, you know, he's gone back to the roots of the club, whereas the youth, you know, bring in bring in the top talent around the Euro- around Europe and around the world, fix what was broken inside, which was the soul of Manchester United, because Mourinho destroyed that, absolutely destroyed that one. And he'll do the same at sports um, before he leaves. And he does it at every club. But all I had to fix that. So he had two major jobs on his hand. Most managers going into top clubs don't have it. They've got one job, the first team. That's all they have to concentrate on because the rest kind of runs by itself. All I had to go in there and he had to fix a completely fractured club. And he did that. And people forget that. And some people don't care about it either. They only, they only, want to, they only care about what happens on the pitch. And that's fine. But, but you can't criticize Ollie and not praise him for what he's done off the pitch. Because he's done an absolutely fantastic job, and bringing in a new manager as as a few of them are, you know, a lot of our fans out there crying for. It's it's still not going to take away the fact that the board's not is just not going to back a new manager, and they're going to use the whole COVID thing as the reason why. Yeah. So bringing in a new manager is not going to fix anything. There's not that many managers out there that can come to Manchester United with the restrictions that they have and do a job. There's not, and I, I don't believe there's anyone out there. I think we have, for the for the position that we are in right now, for the conditions that they have to work in. Uh, as much as that poems, I do shake my head as at his decisions. I I think you know I think Ali over the past two years two years has done a, has done a, a really really good job. Yeah, I'm I, happy to have him there. I, I think for me, Dave, and you just said something very important there about the, in the conditions and as they are at the moment. People will talk about Pochettino. They could say whatever manager they want, really, who's realistically available. And I think that's the point for me. Whenever it comes down to saying, is it worth persisting with Solskjaer? Is it worth getting rid of him? 
for me, is is less that, and it's more a case of is it worth throwing away what we are potentially building for another risk when there's no convincing candidates come in? And I say that with my hand on my heart, not really knowing if I am convinced by Solskjaer, but I know that I'm, I wouldn't necessarily be convinced by anyone else. So let's at least try. Um, try what we haven't tried and you mentioned about it being a mixed bag and it really has because I mean if you think about it these two years um, I, I think that hopefully you'll agree with me I'm sure that you will because we've, we've talked about this before the highs that we've seen under Solskjaer on the pitch have been higher than at any point since uh, Ferguson I don't think anyone could question that we've played the best football um, also uh, the best football that we've we've played since Ferguson also, I think that we've also played the best football when he's used tactical approaches, you know, against the likes of Arsenal and Chelsea in his early weeks um, when we were winning games. Um, he was doing really good tactical shifts and, and we were playing really well. And obviously, we did that against City as well a couple of times um, to, to great effect. But the lows have been as low as anything as well. And I, I don't necessarily blame Solskjaer for that. I, I mean, I'm talking. The, the game that you that I always bore you with, the Norwich game under Van Gaal, where I thought that was untenable for Van Gaal. And then, obviously, plenty of games under Mourinho as well. And we've seen Everton under Solskjaer. We've seen, obviously, Spurs, Newcastle a couple of times as well. Uh, well Newcastle one time, I should say. So we have seen lows um, that are as bad. But I do think sometimes that's partly due to what he inherited and the... Um, the position that he's been put in really by the board and you said that you wanted to come back to this so let, let's do that because obviously you talked about being in a title challenge and another thing that we've talked about on podcasts before and, and with ourselves is December 2015 when Van Gaal was a dead man walking and he knew he was going to get sacked that was the year that Leicester won the league the league was there to be won if we were bold enough to make that decision earlier and not just see it out to its conclusion when it wasn't working everyone knew Van Gaal was going to be sacked Van Gaal knew he was going to be sacked he even talked about it in the press conference he was saying to the, the um, reporters wasn't he oh you had me sacked already but he knew that's because he was he was a dead man walking and we could have you know we could have at that moment got Mourinho in because Mourinho was the obvious man because he'd just been sacked from Chelsea it was obvious what they were going to do that league was winnable then when Mourinho gets us to second, I'm not. People always confuse this for me saying, "Oh, you should give Mourinho more time." What they should have done if you're giving him giving him a three year deal is back him in the summer. They didn't do that. They sold him, sacked him. So that's another position of strength or relative strength where he's been where the manager has sort of been let down by the board, and we've seen it again this summer. We finished in third. The entire principle, the entire business model and the entire objective of the managers as deemed by the board is qualify for the Champions League. And once they get there, they don't back them properly. And I don't care what anyone says. Van der Beek could turn out to be a good signing. We don't know yet. That end of transfer window activity smacked of a manager not being backed in the proper way. Um, it wasn't planned out. It wasn't um, a properly structured transfer window. It went against all this idea of stability that we've got. And that's my concern, Dave, is that you look at where we are now, and we've seen it all before. 
you know, you look at that. I don't want to be pessimistic on an end of year podcast when we're trying to be jovial and everything, but I can't help but think we're in such a great position to have not been let down by the summer and somehow not only be in a position of where we, we could consolidate in the Champions League, but theoretically challenge for the league, that we're just going to be let down in the winter um, by the transfer window when it's really only two or three players that we need to... I mean, you look at Bruno Fernandes and the difference that he made. You know, one defender could make that dif- difference in the back line and... Do you think, I mean, this is going to be a question that comes up again, I guess, in this podcast, but we might as well deal with it now. Do you think that as long as we've got the, the owners and, and Woodward in position that they are, that this is going to keep happening, that we, we think that we're going to get into a good position and and we're just going to be let down? You know, is no, that what 100%, it? yeah. I, I just don't, you know, we, we should we should address the first things first and that is there is no manager out there that's going to be able to come to Manchester United. And, and take us back to where we belong, unless the board are going to back them. Fergie was just, you know, he was, let's be honest, he was just a freak, you know, for, for those last six, seven years. Under, or well, it was what, uh, eight years under the Glazers. Mm. The guy was just, a, you know, a genius. But they, they only come along once in a generation. As much as I hate to say it, you know, Liverpool have a manager who who was given the time and he has the knowledge as well. He's, he's a very, 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 very good manager, as much as I hate to say that. He is. There's no denying it. Um, but but is there really anyone else out there? There's, you know, we can't get Pep Guardiola in, in, in that light anymore because he needs money and he needs a lot of it, like Jose did, to, to make his team successful. And he... You know, with, with Barcelona, he had, you know, he inherited a lot of those great players and he had Lionel Messi. Mm. You know, that, that that was the difference there. Um, it's If Paul Scholes' goal hadn't been disallowed, Jose Mourinho would probably never have been heard of after Porto. <laughs> yeah. You know, sure. and, and that's that's the fine lines between it all. And he got in and he got a lot of money. There's no manager out there, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll argue with anyone. That tries to tell me there may be better managers. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Solskjaer is the best manager, but here's the difference: there's no manager out there in world football right now that we could get that would do a better job than what Solskjaer is doing right now in the conditions that he has to work under. None. You can forget your Pochettino's. If he comes, he'll he may be given a nice little you know transfer kitty at the start of the new season. That's it. He's done that. They're gonna. The Glazers' only um, goal every year is to get into the top four, and if they don't do that, they'll sack the manager and they'll start all over. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. That's the way our club is torn at this moment in time. And until until they go, which I don't believe they ever will, why would you why would you sell a cash cap? Because that's what Manchester United is today, and it still is. Yeah. Manchester United isn't as reliant on on-field success as a lot of clubs in world football to make revenue. Manchester United, unfortunately, is a brand. What it, it's a brand, and mm. people associate themselves with people get rich off it. But Ole is doing the best he can with the, in the conditions that he's working in, and I don't believe there's any other manager out there 
that could do any better on and off the field. So it brings me on to the um, questions that we've got. Um, great time to, to actually bring them up because we've talked about the players, we've talked about the manager, we've talked about the board. But what about the coaches? We've had a couple of questions, one from Kieran Bradley. He, he says, any talk of adding to the coaching staff? Uh, Michael Elias um, talk, says... He mentions the lack of a defensive coach at the club. Do you think that maybe um, that could help? I mean, I don't know who, um, because everyone always talks about the director of football, but maybe a different coach, um, and a more modern coach, a more experienced coach. I know Phelan's familiar with the club, so he, he knows how to set the standards, like Solskjaer. Um, Kieran McKenna must be obviously really reliable for, for those lads and Michael Carrick. But someone from outside the club who, who talks about the actual, you know, he's not talking about. Uh, Manchester United per se is talking about you know coaching and, and the sort of structure of the game um, I don't know who's available but do you think that that could be a good addition if they if they sort of went out and said well, we'll, we'll go out and get a couple of extra coaches in to, to sort of see if that will help us improve particularly defensively I, I, uh, if we have one if we have one um area that we definitely need to improve on it is our coach mm. I 100% agree with that I'm, I'm not convinced of any of our coach yeah. Kenneth Mike Phelan Eric I, I just I'm I, I'm baffled at how they got the job okay, I really am um, and I'm, I'm not understanding because if, if we even go back as far as Fergie you know Fergie says this in a lot of his a lot of his books that he that he's published is that you know, the coaching was it was as as much as as the success for Manchester United while he was in charge as, as the management, or ye him. I mean, when Mourinho lost his uh, number two, which which unfortunately I can't remember his name, um, but when he lost his number two, that's when it started to go really bad. Mourinho had him for a very very long time. Rui Faria. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, he had him at Chelsea, Porto, we had him everywhere, yeah. and he was very very successful. You know, you look down the list of Fergie, Steve McLaren, great coach, Brian Kidd, great coach. When we lost those, I mean, uh, it, it was it was detrimental. You know, we did take a hit. Let's be honest, we did. Um, and it took Ferguson a long time to replace some of those coaches. Um, I, I, I'm not convinced by the coaches that we currently have at the club. I'm just not. Uh, no, I'm not. A, I'm not a, not a, a. This isn't. I'm not one that wants to see our managers and our coaches running up down the line like you know, like Klopp and looking like a moron. Um, but I, I do believe that our coaches need to be more vocal on the side of the pitch. I don't get it. I don't get that they just sit there, you know, and whisper to each other. I just don't get that, you know. And it's not just because there's no, you could, you know, maybe you could say, well, there's no, there's no atmosphere in the stadium, and sometimes I, you know. Uh, it gets people up and moving, and you know, gets the motor. I just, I'm not convinced about coaching. I, they, they just don't do enough coaching from the side of the pitch during the game. And we're one of the few clubs, and probably one of the only top clubs that don't do that. And like I said, I, I don't expect Ole to be a running around and ranting and raving like that clown at, at Liverpool. But th- there has to be a happy medium there, and we don't get it from our manager, and we don't get it from our coaches. There's, and, and that adds to the frustration, I think, with the supporters as well. And it gives that, it gives that kind of uh, appearance that they're not really doing much. Mm-hmm. And there's sometimes in games when I question, you know, set pieces and 
and easy goals you give away, you have to ask yourself, what are we coaching these boys during the week? I'm just not convinced to, to, to you know, a long story, uh, uh, you know, a long answer to a, to a short question. I, I'm not convinced of our coaching staff, to be honest. I think I think Ole needs someone that, you know, is a lot more experienced than what we currently have. Now, Mike Phelan was around for a long time as a player, and, and he did coach with Fergie, but we're, we're at a different level. When your manager is Alex Ferguson, you kind of can, you know, your coaching staff doesn't have to be as brilliant as everyone else. But when you're inexperienced, and Ole was when he got the job, um, you know, I was, I was kind of happy to see Mike Phelan come back in. But to be, you know, to be, you know, one of the first team coaches, you know, one of the main guys, I wasn't convinced, and I'm still not convinced today, and I'm, I'm not sure what Michael Carrick does. Hmm. I'm happy with feeling, I, and I'm, I'm not disregarding anything that any of the coaches do. I just think maybe an extra mind in there um, could help, and um, it's one of those theoretical things. And you make a good point, and I know that you're not the only person who's, who's said that about, um, you know, the lack of sort of action on the touchline. Then again, Dave, you mentioned the the away wins, you know, the six or seven away games that we've won on the bounce in this season. I think they've run something like ten going back to last season. That you know, every game in in every away game this season we've gone behind and come back, and sometimes well, in so, the first so, half as sorry, well. Sorry to cut across you there because it it. it I want to ask you this then about the coaching now that we're talking about away games. Why does it take us 10, 15 minutes with the exception of, of the, the game on, on Saturday, Sunday? Why is it taking us 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes at times to even get going? Every single game we played away from home this year in the league, we've got a goal down. Yes, we've come back and we've scored three goals, which is some stat, to be honest. Um, but why is it, you know, why is it taking us so long to get going? We were in first gear for the first 15, 30 minutes. I put that down to the coaching. I really do. Maybe it's the, you said the fans earlier. Maybe on away grounds, on away grounds I'm talking, because it's unfamiliar. Um, I, I don't know. I wish I could, um, you know, if I could bottle and answer that, then I'm sure um, I'd be a very rich person. But if you look at... I, I, it could be a problem because it is one of those things where you, you know you're right. The concern is that you can't come back every week um, because it's that's the exception to the rule. That's why it's so extraordinary. Um, but we are doing it, and this is an exceptional time. Do you know what I mean? And I think yeah. as long as you're doing it, then um, it is one of those things as well because it's such a difficult time for everyone and a difficult time for United, and we're still in this transition. You look at the positive way you find it. You think, well, that's something to build upon, rather than it being the exception to the rule. And um, especially when that is the positive aspect to take from United season so far. Obviously, the away form has got to be the the overriding positive aspects uh, to take from it. Um, and of course, we've played some good football as well. But the best football that we've played has been away from home. Yeah. Um, but then again, you know, it's one of those. I think the first three games of the season, we let in something like foot. We, we conceded something like 45 chances and we conceded a lot of goals in those games. Um, and we do, you know, it's one of those things where you're just not sure um, where the problems are, if they are on the training pitch or if they are uh, with the players. Um, it's obviously a mixture. It's just a matter of how proportionate that, um, where the blame, the blame lies. So it brings us on to a couple of other questions as well about the future. Before we start talking in more general terms, 
Um, I'll bunch these questions in together as well. Steve Vernon um, says, how about Ollie's progress and how it compares with the other managers since Sir Alex? How far away, um, how many signings are we again from uh, away from being genuine title challengers again? And sort of tying in with that is Luke Thomas who asks, where do you see us in five years' time? It's very difficult to sort of see um, that. Luke's and uh, Luke's question. I can't sort of. You know, yeah, maybe I, maybe if we maybe if we put it down the five months time, we may have a you know <laughs> answer on it. Yeah, I was, I was thinking five years ago. Five years ago, we we were just starting under Van Gaal, weren't we? And you would never have sort of envisaged. Um, no, you know, it was meant to be Ryan G- Ryan Giggs was meant to be in charge, wasn't he? So it's difficult. I now would have said probably Giggs, um, but he's nowhere near it now. Um, but certainly, I mean, as Steve says, I was all his progress compares. You said it earlier that well, I think we both kind of said it's been the best. It's one of those things because Van Gaal wins an FA Cup, Mourinho wins um, two trophies, League Cup and the Europa League. But I have enjoyed watching um, United much more under Ollie. Um I would say we're probably at least four players away from being genuine title challengers again. Um, don't ask me who those players are, but I think a defender, a central defender, uh, probably a holding midfielder, another striker and a right-sided attacker, at least. There's still probably a couple of other players in the defence I'm not completely convinced about. Um, what about you, Dave? I, I, I would just summarise what Ollie's done in terms of the comparison to the other managers since Fergie and how many players away do you think we are from, from challenging? Well, I mean, if, if we let's let's just do a quick analysis of the of the, the previous um, you know, I'm not going to count Giggs as the manager, but the previous three full time managers, David mm. Moyes, Van Hall, and Jose Mourinho, it was dire. It was dire, you know. It it was we we had two Manchester United's bad and really bad, <laughs> and and you can you can and yeah, we picked up trophies along the way, and that's the name of the game, um, but. Eventually, at some point, you know, that type of football, even though if you're picking up a trophy or two here, unless you're winning the league, it, it, it kind of becomes unacceptable to a lot of uh, Manchester United supporters because we're used to playing a certain way. And we, we had discussions before of what is the Manchester United way. We just, you know, I, I want to win trophies first and foremost. But at some point, you have to start entertaining as well. Um I mean, wasn't wasn't it in some case with with Van Hall? We didn't score a, a goal, you know, in the Stratford end in five months or something. It was something mad, crazy stat like that. The, or at home. Yeah, it was the the other side. It, it was something. So, so with with those three managers, it was either bad or really bad. Um, and you know, the the difference that we have now is with Manchester United. We're either when we're bad, we're bad, or when we're good, we're really good. I mean, we are. We and and that's the difference for me. We we never had a really good moment in football. Maybe one or two games in the whole of Mourinho's time. Did we did we play a game and I thought, okay, okay, but that was kind of, you know, it went against Mourinho's um, uh, 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 philosophy on the pitch. Because I remember at the time, and I can't remember the game, but I do believe it was three-one. But he was getting a lot of pressure in the in the press about his boring football, and we turned it on one week. And I thought, is this the corner? And then the following week, we were drawn. Um, Louis Van Hall, you and I discussed this many times. I love the guy. I love what he did for that club in regard to coming in 
after Moyes and stamping his authority in that club and telling the player, you know, I'm the boss, you do what you're told. He stabilised that club, he brought us an FA Cup and he was one mad back. He really was. Um, and I loved him for that. But on the pitch, it was terrible. It was the worst football I've seen Manchester United play. The worst. The worst. With Ole, we get either really good or really bad. And for now, I'll settle for that, considering what we've had to put up with over the past three managers. Hmm. I'll settle for that, you know, exciting, that, that, it's the hope that kills you, we always say. And that's what it has, that, that's what it's done many times. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, at this moment in time, we're either really good or we're really bad. And I'll settle for that right now. Um, how many players are we? I won't ask you to name the players, but how many players um, do you think we are away? I don't think we're... T- I mean, so, so here's how we got to look at it, Wayne. We got to... Uh, and, and you know me, sometimes I throw these in here. We have to look at this two different ways. How many players are we off winning the league in the current, you know, uh, 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 climate versus how many are we when fans start getting back and normality resumes? Um, that's, that's very, very different. Very, mm. very different. At this moment in time, we're not that far off, I'll be honest. Because I believe that, you know, this season is going to be so crazy. It may only take one or two signings, you know, to, to push you over the line. In reality, if it was a regular season with the team that we have, we are probably, you know, three to four players minimum short of of, of challenging each and every season. Um, you know, our defence is a mess, an absolute mess. Uh and I'm going to ask you a question at the end of this as well myself, but the defence is a mess at the moment. We need a very, very strong and capable centre-back. I don't think Harry Maguire is the worst centre-back in the world. I think he could be better, but I think with a much better partner, he will be better. He really will. I mean, his. I know you can manipulate stats to whatever way you want, but his stats are up there amongst the best in the league so far this year. But he gets, he gets a raw deal because he plays for Manchester United. Um, so I do believe we need a very, very strong centre-back. I also believe that, you know, we're going to need someone in midfield because as much as I like McTominay and I like Fred, I think they're squad players. I don't think they're first-team players. I don't think they're... I don't think all he thinks of them... If he had if he had just someone a little bit, you know, more... Um, what's, the, what's the nice way to put this? Fred doesn't have a footballing brain, in my opinion. I really, he gives away the ball too much. He he gives cheap passes away. He sometimes he, he does 360s when he has the ball. I, it blows my mind. Um, he just runs around in this circle, um, and and he's the best that we have at the moment. And I'm okay with that because you know he's he's better than what we've had in previous years. But Brandon McTominay are squad players, very very good squad players. Every team needs 20 to 22 players this year. I, I just don't. I'm not convinced by them, and I think. I haven't seen enough of Van der Beek to, to say he's the answer, but we definitely do need a midfielder. We need a striker that can hit the back of the net at least once in every second chance. We don't have that right now. Martial's confidence is gone. I don't believe he should be playing. I think Cavani should be in every week. Um, but, you know, Cavani's, what, 34 years of age? 35, he's not going to last forever. Um, we definitely need a striker. I'm okay with the left side of the pitch. And the right side, I don't know. I mean, I'd love to see Greenwood develop into that role, you know, on, on the right. Um, you know, I think he's 
from what I can see, you know, watching week in, week out, he's our best finisher at the club. Yeah. You know, yeah. everything, it, it's rare for him not to hit the target. And it's even more rare that when he does hit the target, it doesn't go into it. You know, he's, he's that good. Um, but he has had his off-field problems, and I think that's affected his form this year. And Martial, you know, you know when I was his biggest cheerleader for years. I saw that guy as the next great thing. I just don't think he has. I don't think he has the attitude right now. It's there's some games he just waltzes around, and people are making excuses for him now about his assists and stuff like that. I mean, he's not. He's not up there to do a sit. He's up there to score goals. He gets ample opportunities. He had two at the weekend that. I, I'm, and let's not get me started on the one against PSG. But the, mm-hmm. the two the weekend, he should have buried at least one of them. You know, he, he's not there to do assists. Just as much as like we need. And I say this a lot. If you want someone, if you want someone fast up and down the wing, you don't just go and hire Forrest Gump. You know, just because he's fast and runs up and down the wing. You hire a player that that you buy a player that that, that can do the job. And that, for me, Martial is just not doing that job at all. And I think Cavani is is a better, better option. Um, so the question I had, so I still think we're three or four players short overall, but I don't think we're that far off. You know, one good signing in January, you know, and the rumors are floating around that United are working on something, one good signing in January could do that. It could it could push, you know, it could push us towards, you know, challenge for that title. And, and people out there may laugh, and, and they can't, but this is a very, very weird season. And... You know, you, you, you look at the first, you know, 13 weekends of results, and many of them would a lot of people predict it. Not a lot. Really not a lot. Who would have thought Everton would have went away and beat Leicester after getting tonked at home, I think, the previous week? It's just the way it is. It's a weird, weird season. And, and that leads me on to the question of our, of our defence. Um, Ollie dropped uh, David De Gea um, against Sheffield United. Dean Henderson come in, very capable goalkeeper, you know, but made two absolute clangers for the goals, um, especially the first one. I know you you tweeted out on on Twitter about you know basically questioning you know why why would you drop David De Gea when it's not really really a problem? I think a lot of us, not a lot, but there's a large portion of our supporters believe that that Dean Henderson should be should be number one based off the form for Sheffield United. I've always said this. Playing number one for Sheffield United is very different than playing number one for Manchester United. Mm-hmm. And as much as I like Dean Henderson, it concerned me a bit against Sheffield United, the mistakes he made. Um, what's your thoughts on the whole De Gea-Dean Henderson um, debate? Yeah. I, so I haven't... Um, yeah, it's a good one. I, I haven't changed my opinion on... So yeah, I think there are two two yeah. This is a Nipun. If you're listening to this, he'll be killing us both for fence sitting. He he always does that. Oh well, he said this and he said this. There's two ways of looking at it, but there really is with this. And I, the first one is the perception, because I, I thought the needlessness of, of it was the perception that it, you know the the controversy that it brings when United have got enough problems. They don't need another problem in in defence. And I thought. Doing what he did invited a problem. Um, doing what Solskjaer did, I should say, dropping the goalkeeper and bringing in another when it wasn't, you know, De Gea hadn't made a clangor or anything. There was no massive need to, to drop him or anything. Um, 
especially because it's De Gea who's been over the last 10 years our most consistent player by a considerable distance so when you drop a goalkeeper it's a much bigger statement of, of intent um, and obviously because we've got a problem defence it's kind of saying that's the problem when we all know that it isn't the problem well, it's not the first problem there are other problems and if it's still a problem after we've solved the, the four in front of him then then you look at the changing the goalkeeper now I'm happy to admit on this occasion I, I was wrong not because of Anderson's perform, performance like I said there were two errors in there mostly the first one and by the way I should say as well I don't think the defenders helped him on that first one I thought um, yeah, it doesn't look good for Anderson, but I did feel a lot um, of sympathy for him because that was going to happen to one of our goalkeepers, the way that the players keep passing it back. And again, that goes back to the, the coaching. Is it the defenders doing that? We know it's a coaching philosophy to play out from the back when we don't have the players to do it. We were obviously going to um, fall foul of that at one point, and it just happened to Dean Anderson. I felt sorry for him for that. Um, to be fair... There wasn't that much criticism about it afterwards. It was played down. Ollie didn't make a big deal about it. And De Gea was back in at the weekend and he played well. And he um, made a couple of good saves as well. It wasn't really to blame for the goals. He played well. The other thing is whether or not Henderson's good enough. I think from what I've seen of Henderson, he's, he's fine. Apart from being let down by the defence. It wasn't just the Sheffield United one. He was the goalkeeper in Istanbul for Denver Bar's um, 40-yard yep. jog to the goal. He's not helped by his defenders. And that's kind of like the flip side of this, isn't it? You want if you're going to bring in a rookie goalkeeper, put him in front of a comfortable defense, uh, put him behind a comfortable defense. You're not doing him any favors by doing that because you're going to shoot his confidence, and that's the danger um, in this moment in time. I don't have any problem with Anderson as a goalkeeper, and I'm sure that once the the time comes, he deserves his chance as much as anyone um, to to sort of have a stab at replacing De Gea it's whether or not that time has come and I don't think it has um, and like I said earlier and I've said it before De Gea's not a massive problem he's still on his day one of the best in the league yes he's had his he has had a dip he's, he's not what he was or he hasn't been what he was but I don't think it's that pronounced that you just cut him out of the team there are bigger problems and We've seen from De Gea that he has still kept us in games and, and that he's still done um, saves which um, no other goalkeeper would make. So, yeah, it is, it's, it's a good question. I'm not saying that I'm right with that. It's just where I stand with it at the moment. I would put the emphasis on changing him in front of him and still giving Anderson game time, but just not like that. I just felt, ah, you just, you're asking for trouble. It would have made no sense. Yeah, you're made just no asking sense. for trouble, yeah. It's... Yeah, like, you, I don't get it. It just made right. no sense. I mean, because he didn't even he didn't even stick with him in the following game, and it was just it yeah. was, you know, if he was going to drop the hair, he should have did it weeks ago. If anything, the hair has improved since he made those few errors at the start of the season, and and then all of a sudden he just dropped him. And this this is what I said earlier on. At times I shake my head. And, and that what? was one. Yeah. Was um, it, it's it's listen, Dean Henderson. I'm convinced is going to be a really, really, really good goalkeeper. It should be, you know, if he had a bit more game time, he'd be England's number one. Um, but, you know, he just needs to buy this time. You know, that's it. David De Gea, for me, is still our number one. Like all goalkeepers, he makes mistakes every now and then. But because he's, because he set, because he set himself up um, to be like the number one, he's going to get hit harder when he makes a mistake. 
and and unfortunately, um, unfortunately, it was uh, it was you know it cost us games. But I just don't understand why Henderson came in and got that game time. Really, yeah, no. Yeah. Um, I just I don't. David Ahear for me is still number one. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so a couple more questions on the things at the moment. Big Taiji asks um, top four. Or a title running versus Pool and City, and I'm guessing it means this season. Um, it's funny that you ask that because if you'd asked me that a month earlier, I would have been happy with um, saying top four. And I, do you know what? I still think I would. Um, I really do. It's a difficult one for me, Dave. Like obviously, you want to win the league, and I'm never I'll take without um, asking the facts that I want us to win every single game and I want us to win the league and every time a season starts I still think oh I hope we win the league even though I know it's not realistic and that's where I am at the moment but realistically speaking considering the way that we started the season considering the way that Ollie was let down by the board once we got into a position where we you know we'd qualified for the Champions League and we were told this is gonna that was what was gonna make a big difference and by the way they knew they knew about COVID before the season restarted in June. So why all this talk about qualifying for the, for the Champions League, why it was a big deal again, when it really wasn't, it hasn't made any difference to us whatsoever because we're out of the Champions League. It made absolutely no difference to us, but it would have made a difference to Alex, who would have probably, probably been psyched. Um, where we are now, I still think with this squad it still needs a fair win behind it and we're getting that at the moment because we're winning games away from home but I do think that you know if we have a couple of injuries if if something doesn't go right if the heads drop again a couple of big defensive rigs we're anywhere between third and seventh or eighth this I honestly believe that Dave I know it sounds a little bit pessimistic so if we're able to consolidate top four and hope that the global economic situation in regards to football and transfers has sorted itself out that there's less excuse for the, the owners next summer. But even then, it doesn't really matter, does it? Because it was an excuse last time round and they'll find another excuse this next time round. It's been the same way since time began. So, I mean, you know, Hart says title run, but Head says if we can... If we can consolidate top four, based on the fact that I felt at one point this season that we might finish mid-table, I think I, I was talking about this on the podcast with Paul the other day. Dave, do you think that maybe that's the best thing if we just finish in the top four, have that level of consistency in a time of such uncertainty that that's the best thing for us in terms of stability moving forward I'm not saying obviously winning the title is brilliant but being realistic if we can do that it's um, it's got to be seen as a positive I'm not, I'm not sure I'm not sure just gaining top four this season considering the way a lot of results are gone will be deemed you know in my opinion as, as a great result I think we should be looking at finishing the top two at this moment um, and our away form is really really good we just need to figure out our home form a little bit uh, finishing at this moment in time, if, if we finish fourth, I'd be disappointed. I really would, um, and and that's that's down to the fact, and and I'm sure a lot of other top clubs would as well. It's down. It, the reason I'm saying that is that there's a lot of crazy, crazy results hanging out there at the moment. It's all it, you know. I'm, I'm going to try and put this in the in in proper context, but 
In order to win the league, you have to be consistent. We all know that. But this is kind of a different type of consistency this year. You don't need to be consistent over the whole season, I believe, this season, to win it. Does that make sense? Mm. You only need a little bit of a run, and I think you'll win the league. And when, you know, we're in that hat right now. We really are. Um, but you could also drop out through the, the trap door like Spurs did, you know. All of a sudden, you know, they were talking about Spurs winning the title and now they're six points off halfway, believe, in a week. Mm. So there's so many crazy results floating out there. You only need a small portion of the season to be consistent, I honestly believe, to, to win the league this year. And whoever whoever gathers that over even like a month or two period, they're going to win the league. They are. Yeah. Um, this is not going to be a situation where you're going to be the best team over five or six months, even though, you know, technically you're top of the league, you're the best team. But you know what I'm trying to say? You know, yeah. you, you, you could start off the season really bad, have a really good middle, and then do okay at the end and you win the league by three or four that's what's going to happen this year. In, in much the same way happen. that we qualified for Champions League last season. It's exactly yeah. the same, yeah. yeah. But this is a little bit... And, and the reason being is that we, we should never underestimate the influence fans have on the pitch, you know, on the players on the pitch. Yeah. I'm seeing a lot of crazy goals this season, a lot of crazy efforts that wouldn't have taken place with fans inside the state because players would be under pressure not to try these things. You know, yeah. and, and I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced of it. United would not have conceded six to Spurs. Liverpool would not have conceded seven to Aston Villa because the fans wouldn't have accepted, you know, after you started to concede two or three or four. Even. It just wouldn't. And the players would have been up for the ball. I've seen players drop their heads in games far quicker now because there's zero pressure from the stands. Zero. Mm. And, and that's that's why I think that one small bubble of consistency somewhere in this season is going to win a team the league. Yeah. Um, question from MUFC76. Um, comment says, really enjoys the podcast. Thanks you, thanks very much. I really appreciate that. But he asks, um, most likely of the young players to make the breakthrough in 2021. Um, it's a difficult one because obviously we've got a lot of talent Um but how talented they are and how likely they are to make a breakthrough is um, is a completely different question, isn't it? Because you've got to look at the opportunity that's there. I, I think that possibly it's an obvious one, but Twan Zebe at centre-back, I still think that he's the most obvious one. Um, Mate, you got to let that go. How many years are you saying that? Uh, that was the same for some Mensah, wasn't it? <laughs> a couple of years ago. But um, but I, I do think Twanzebe, you've got to give him a chance um, because he looks more naturally confident. He looks more aggressive than Lindelof. And before you commit to spending X amount of money on a centre-back, which you know United have obviously been reluctant to do, they've got to make their way through those centre-backs. And Obviously, Solskjaer held Twanzebe Pot, well, seemed to hold him mostly responsible for what happened in Istanbul because he took him off at half time and hasn't really played him since. I still think that naturally he's more talented as a defender than Lindelof, and it just makes sense to give him that chance. You've got Ethan Laird at right back, or at left back, but obviously left back's stopped now. So, and Wambasaka is difficult a time as he had. He has had this season. I still think that that's mostly down to the the fact that he's, there's not a really confident um, player at the side of him. So if you have Twanzebe in there, I think it makes a big difference. Um, is there anyone? Is there any other names that you would think of, Dave, or that would um, 
stand out I, that, I, again I'm talking like that's the opening in the side that's the really obvious place in the side that's sort of stacked and then I mean what do you do after that you can't really there's nowhere else in the team that's not stacked in, in terms of players they've got forwards they've got plenty of forwards they've got plenty of midfielders um, maybe Traore when he comes in in January but um, that's the, the new signing aspect of it isn't it Pelestre who came in we have not seen him at all in the first team um, any of those any of the new signings you think would be more likely than a defender um, I don't know. I mean, here's the problem. You know, we all know that it's, you know, stepping up from the, the, the under 23s into the first team is a massive, massive, massive step. I'll be honest with you. I haven't seen enough of the under 23 games to make any judgment on any of these players. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, uh, excitement around this kid coming in from Atalanta uh, in January. Um, but yet, you know, he's only played five first-team games a season for that team. You know, most has been off the bench, but seemingly his potential is huge. But we, how many times have we down this potential road before? Mm. Mm. You know, we, we we've got the most expensive potential midfielder in the world ready to burst onto the scene any minute now. <laughs> or on, onto the scene any minute now, and, and we're still waiting four or five years later. Yeah. Potential means nothing. Um, so I, I can't really answer that question, to be honest, Wayne. I think I think I think you hit the nail on the head, to be honest. Saying that the team is so packed in a lot of areas, I don't think a lot of these players are going to even get the chance to get in unless they're really, really exceptional, like Mason Greenwood was. But even with that, Mason Greenwood kind of slid in when we were having a lot of problems on that side. Mm. Um, I just I don't know. I, I I really can't answer that because I don't I don't I haven't seen enough of of these. Um, of these players to uh, I mean I'll read about them but I'm not going to make a judgment based off reading about them I, I honestly don't know that's mm. that's my honest question if they were the way I always say it is if they were good enough they'd be in the first yeah so but it may be too tightly packed so so you're basically saying I'm right Twan Zeba after after throwing one of your bobs at me earlier yeah, on yeah no no I, I still I mean is this 2016 or is it 2020 I mean, <laughs> Um, MUFC76 um, great question by the way um, but he also asks any transfers in January and I think that's a nice note to end the podcast on um, that, who would Santa bring you for Christmas in an ideal world you get one player and let's say an ideal world let's be realistic it's not going to be Messi or Ronaldo so someone you think that United could get who would come in and improve this team you can only pick one and they're more like they're most likely to come in and make a difference to United winning uh, the league or not. Um, who would you pick in world football? Um, I can't pronounce his name. Huh? The centre, the centre back from um, um, Red Bull. Oh, Upper Meccano. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. the guy I would bring in. He, he, he's. I believe he's a. He will be a great partnership uh, for for Harry Maguire. Um, because the, the guy would tackle a wall, um, and I don't think Maguire is that type of centre back. I don't he, think he is. He wasn't very good at Old Trafford, though, was he? Up in the corner. Well, if we're going to base every player off one game, um, <laughs> if you're going to base every player on how they play at Old Trafford, then none of our yeah. players will well, play. <laughs> yeah, well, then we need. Well, I'll go back to the original uh, question from earlier. We need 15 new players. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
No, he's you know what I've seen of him, and I've I've, I've seen more of him than anyone else. To me, he looks an exceptional, exceptional defender. He's yeah. built for the English league, um, and 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 you know I I don't think it would be that expensive to get him. And um, the only stumbling block I think in January would be they'll still be in the Champions League. That's all. Yeah, and we won't be. Um, but he's the guy I would get, and I think that would that would really make us that would make us very very strong in defence. It really would. I mean, you could argue we, you know, we, going forward we're we're a joy to watch. I don't think we need much there. Um, but if we're to bring in one player in January, for me it would be him. There's another player that people talk about, and I, I mention him. I'm going to mention him here only because. Um, because of the sort of political background behind signing him. Erling Haaland, obviously one of the most highly rated strikers in Europe. Nope. Well, let me get onto this, and, and I guess the reason why you're saying no is what I'm going to come on to. Do you think it's more important for United at this point to be looking to sever all ties with Raiola as soon as possible, and then that would unfortunately mean no Haaland or Trafford? Because on talent, obviously you wouldn't bet against him coming to United, you wouldn't not want him to come to United, surely, Dave. So it's got to be the Raiola thing, right? 100%. I yeah. mean, how many times have we want to get warned here? Hmm. You know, we, we could bring him in, pay an absolute fortune for him, and I guarantee you within two years he'll be getting touted off to Real Madrid, Barcelona. We'll be back where we start, but a lot less money. Um, we should just put our toys with that man. He's the boys. boys that's what he is. He's poison. Ferguson said it many, many years ago. He's yeah. just a cretin. He's he's just a, a leech on football. Um, I'd stay away from any of his coins. I don't. I don't. I'm, and you know, we're not we're not buying a Ronaldo or a Messi here. Bro. You know, we're buying a player that that's got a lot of goals in in the German league. Let's not get carried away here. Mm. Um, you know. Chelsea brought in Werner, who was who was an experienced international, who's been around a long time in the German league and scored bucket loads of goals. I think Lindelof has nearly the same amount of goals in the league. Mm. It's it's different when they come come to England. They all know that. He even he came out the weekend and said it. He's, he's finding it very very difficult to adapt to the English football because it's so physical. I'm just that's two reasons why you know the second reason should also sway you from the first reason and that's to stay away from my he's just the man is he's a cretin he is um, he, he's only interested in, in taking his players from, from big club to big club so he gets his that would be the main reason I would stay away from him and, it, and it's not just because I, you know it's, it's the fact that it, it's the overall disruption to the team that he brings that's what people forget the disruption I mean that bullshit right before the most important game of our season about Pogba wanting to leave. Don't tell me that didn't disrupt internally. Of course it did. I'm sure the manager was furious with him. And Pogba coming out and saying that, you know, he, that bullshit thing a few days later, don't listen to people. And he did that way, he, he did that a couple of seasons ago when it came out that he was he was being told at the Man City and we were playing City that weekend. Yeah. No, we should stay away from Alan hundred percent unless he changes unless he changes agents. And even at that, you know, is he is he all that because he's banging in goals in the German league? I don't know. Mm. I, I do like him. I think he's he looks physically brilliant. And um, but yeah, 
And his old man is an asshole. Whoa, still trying to work out which knee is old man injured. Um, he might make up a new story next week about which one it was. Um, the, one that end, the one that ended his career that he still played for three years later. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, I, I think that I'm, I'm with you on that. I just thought I'd throw it in as an hypothetical because obviously he's one of the names that's been Solskjaer obviously likes him and, and wanted to sign him. But I think I, I'm with you. If you, I would be equally happy. And don't don't get me wrong, this is not against Paul Pogba. Paul Pogba is a different topic all on himself, and I'm sure we could fill up another hour talking about him. But Raiola alone. If you were to sort of tell me you could have Upper Meccano or you could get rid of Raiola, I wouldn't be able to decide um, which would be the better Christmas present because I think both would go a long way to sort of settling this um, club down a lot. And at this moment in time, because we've seen the bad that Raiola brings, you're more inclined to think it's better to just cut ties um, with him. I'm certainly with you on that um, completely. Um, that's it, guys. An hour of uh, a podcast, end of year podcast. Um, before I, I sum up um, the sort of conclusion and get to the end, I'll just run through three sort of end of year themes like we always do, Devo. Game of the year, goal of the year, and player of the year. Um, let's start with player because it's a bit of an obvious one. Um, well, I presume it is. I'm going to go with Bruno Fernandes. Um, you I thought you were going to say Twan Zabi. <laughs> no, if, if you're going to get me on one of those, I'm going to say Anderson. You know, it's a player I'm still hoping is going to come good. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, Fernandez, how can you look further than him? Can you remember the first conversations we were having at the start of the year? I'm like, oh, I'm not so sure about You know, my conservative side of it is, well, why is no big club being around him? And he's come in, he's been brilliant. I'm still not sure. You might argue back with me um, on this one. Um, I'm still not completely sure that he, he quite justifies that uh, most influential. Uh, he's just like Cantona kind of thing. I think a long way to go for that. Um, but he's certainly the best that we've seen for a very long time. Okay, so 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 on 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 that comment. I mean, let's be honest. There's no one that there's, there's no one that's ever going to bring the influence of Manchester United that 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 Brian Robson or Eric Cantona brought. I mean, you could say Roy Keane as well, but let's be honest, Cantona Robson. Huge influence on Manchester United, but when Cantona came in, he had a lot of lot of good players in that team, a lot of good players, and he just made them all click. When Bruno Fernandez came in, a club was in the shit. All right, now I'm not saying Bruno Fernandez has a bigger influence than Cantona. That'll never happen because Cantona is the reason why. You know, and I always say this that we won so many titles because he set the foundation. He set the expectation level on the train. And that's the reason why, you know, we, we ended up with 20 titles. I don't care that it was, you know, whatever. Uh, X amount of years later after he left, we won a 20th title. He, it all stems back to his his influence, you know, when he turned up in November from, from Leeds. Um, but Bruno Fernandes has to be praised because look at the shit he walked into and look at some of the players he had to play alongside and what he's done is, with a lot of these players, he's raised their game. He really has. He's raised their game. So he can be talked about as, as a big influencer on it. Um, but he'll never be in that Cantona Robson. Never. But I, th- I think he deserves a hell of a lot more credit than, than you, Mr. Barton, have given him, based off your biasness towards the Cantona. I just said that he's my player of the year. 
just like, come on, let's be honest. Is he really scrapping it against anyone else? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. Um, goal of the year, Davo. Um, I'll let you have first choice on this one. If you want, um, if you if you sometimes think I've got I've got a choice that I could go straight into with. I don't know. I'm. I'm t- it's been a bit of a mixed year to sort of put you on the spot and ask you to pick. One. I know because nothing. I, I mean, does does anything really stand out? I've got two. Um, and I guess both. Let, let's go with both of these because the game of the year might be uh, one of these uh, two. Really, Man City at home. Scott McTominay scores from forty yards. Yeah. Or, or Leeds United at home. McTominay scores from twenty yards, which is an absolute belter. Um, might. You know, unlikely the winner um, as he might be, but Scott McTominay for me, I'm going to go with that City one. Um, I think it's an obvious one. Um, but yeah, but it's a, I mean, it's not really. I mean, it was a terrible mistake with a goalkeeper. No, it, it was know. the best goal you've ever seen, Dave. So we can right. s- stop with Passed that. By Anderson and headed down by Twanze. <laughs> Are you going to go with Lingard's open goal against Leicester on the last day? Um, but like I said, you know, it, I, I just don't. I don't think there's nothing stands out really for me. I'm sorry, it really doesn't. It's like you said, it's been a mixed bag. It, you know, I'm just nothing stands out. Mate, to be honest, I'm yeah. not going to just say a goal with nothing. Re- if if I was to if if I was to pick one in regard to you know how happy I was in regard to the goal and. Um, you know some of the movement because I love one twitch football. I think I think Daniel James's goal the weekend was a pretty small goal. Yeah, I really do. We, you know, it, it was one of those you know, uh, it was one of those quick moving passes that literally spent in half. The pace of Daniel James because you know Elskis, Olsen, those type of players. Yeah, and, and it was just was just you know the rocket corners went on and that was it and. and when when James was mentioned at the start of, of you know, in the line of you know Twitter kind of Boise plan, I'm thinking, listen, I've criticised Ollie in the past for his tactics. Today he fully understands Leeds United. Yeah. He fully understands, them. and 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 James is 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 the is the type of player that you need against Leeds, and and he was justified in that because he. He kept going. He kept pushing them back, and, and Leeds really didn't get into it at all because of that. they kept coming at us. But that's what Solskjaer wanted. So if I was to pick one, just because it was the weekend, not because I'm old and I can't remember, that was a sweet, sweet goal. Because <laughs> to show how old we are as men, that who's asked to pick the goal of the year, and you've literally just picked the most recent one. Well, like I said, there was nothing that I mean. I'll, I'll debate your McTominay one all day long. He shot it into an open goal, um, but, you know, it was it was everything around that game. You know, the tension of just being one nil up, home the Man City, the greatest team the planet has ever been, and then for the keeper to make that mistake, and and it wasn't it was a nice goal because you know it was in the rain, it was on the run, and and you know it was an old trap, a lot of pressure. Yeah, the last one, the last one scored in front of fans as well. Um, well, fit for United in the league anyway, um, which just seems crazy when you think about it. Um, yeah, but um, hopefully we'll see some that are a little bit more memorable next year and games as well, um, and hopefully fans will be there for those. Um, yeah, thanks. So which, for, 
So, 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 I'll, I'll, so I'll guess I'm not getting picked game of the year. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so sorry, Dave. No, Quite, no, no. You, you, you work away. You work away. No, no, please do. Um, <laughs> I'm going to guess it's Leeds 6 2. Um, it was Leeds 6 2. And, uh, <laughs> so, um, I, I, for me, I think that the game against it, it's a toss up between uh, PSG and Red Bull. And I'll probably go with Red Bull because I thought that night we were really, really, really good. We were really good in in Paris. Um, you know, it makes me sad thinking back <laughs> that you know we we talked Red Bull. We went we went to PSG and we won, and we ended up not even. Yeah. Um, but for me, I think I think Red Bull was. You know, I think we just everything clicked. That everything we anything we hit went into the back of the net. Yeah. So um, let let me let me ask you this one then. You know, to round it up, what game you know throughout this season did you do you just get shiver down your spine in the last year? Something this in the you get a shiver down your spine when you think of just in like what the heck? Um, from this year, from this season. Well, well no, this calendar here. January now. Yeah. 2020. Um, on, there's one that sticked out a mile. Go on, Devo. You tell me because I. Arsenal at home. Yeah. When yeah. I when I when I think of that game, when I think of and, and you know, even factoring in the result that Arsenal have had since, how did they beat us at home? How? Yeah. That's a fair call. I don't even know. I don't even take the Spurs one because the Spurs one, you know what? You just bad results. And we went nowhere. The Spurs just wiped us off. They really did. Arsenal at home will 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 stick in my memory not for a very long time because I'll probably get up by next week. Um, <laughs> but it'll stick in my memory until until that until twenty twenty one. Until twenty twenty one. But if someone said to me which game this year twenty twenty is the one that you go. I still can't. Yeah. And for you? No, yeah, I, I would. I, no questions as well. You, you know, you just cut me off. Yeah, no, I'll go with the Spurs one just because that was a shell shocking one for me. I remember thinking, well, obviously after the first half, you're just thinking, there's no way Solskjaer survives this. Um. And I think you and I even talked about that. that he's a good sack. Yeah, like, honestly, I thought that um, it was one of those things where it wasn't so much that I don't, I didn't think he'd survive those few days because I thought that there's no way they can sack him at the transfer window deadline. So it was literally like, well, it's killed him in terms of one or two more bad results. And But we got those one or two more bad results and we've had some good ones there that's kind of why I'm still on the fence like whether or not he sees the season out and it's so unpredictable you can't really make that call with that although even if he even if he doesn't make the season even, even if he doesn't make next season you know I, th- I think he'll probably last the full season this time now I can't see um it becoming so terminal that he gets sacked in January. So if he doesn't get sacked in January, what's the point in sacking him before the end of the season? Um, 
Uh, yeah, it is one. Of, it's still on knife edge for me, Dave. I don't want to be. I don't want to end on a sombre tone or a, a pessimistic tone. But I do feel sometimes, and this isn't like we've already talked about the faith that we've got in him, and and that we we you know we want him to come good, and we want to invest that sort of faith and patience in him. But um, I'm still not 100% convinced, and and that goes right the way through to the way the clubs run, and not necessarily in how convinced I am that he he can or can't do the job. It's that he won't be let alone to do the job, um, even in even with that fair wind and everything going well. Um, I just hope that we're going to see. You know, it's to his credit that you know we didn't fold and we haven't been as bad as what Arsenal have been. You know, and that the Arsenal blip since that time has been the exception to the rule because we've generally been pretty good. Um, whereas Arsenal, obviously, that was the exception to their rule as well because they won. Um, can't believe that they won and haven't really done anything since and you know it's one of those funny things isn't it people just about two weeks ago were saying oh would Arsenal fans swap Arteta for Solskjaer and I'm sure that they probably wouldn't because Solskjaer managing any football club doesn't really make sense apart from for Manchester United but that doesn't necessarily mean that Arteta's a better manager it just means that for that particular football club why would Solskjaer go and manage Arsenal um, yeah, but he's he's not a better manager. Just, just no, he's obviously no. I don't think he is, but um, but that that's the sort of reasoning I would use behind that because obviously you know if they sacked Arteta tomorrow, which they might well do, they wouldn't come calling for Solskjaer, and I understand that, but that's because of Solskjaer's ties to United. It's not because he's not a good coach. Yeah. Um, no, I get that. But in 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 regards, so I want to ask you one quick question before we go. Um, you know, we went out of the Champions League and, and while it was disappointing, I mean, did we realistically think that we were going to win the Champions League? I mean, is, is it is it better to be in a competition where we have a chance of winning it than being in a competition that we know we're not going to win it? Mm. I, I'm not, I don't think there's any fan out there that convinced themselves that United were going to win the Champions League. We're opening into a completely new conversation. Sorry, guys, who thought we were leaving leaving 15 minutes ago. Bonus content, what can you say? Um, you're right, but obviously you're in a competition to win it. Um, I think the idea that Paris and Leipzig were semi-finalists next season, I think that's overdone a little bit. I think they were semi-finalists yeah. because the competition got condensed and it threw up all those freak results like we've seen yep. so far this season so that was a bit of a fake thing but they, that doesn't discount how good they were as teams they they were good enough to get into the knockouts without any question um, and they were decent competitors for us to come up against and if we weren't on our game we could definitely get exposed because like I said I keep saying we were third last season in the Premier League with a fair wind we were third out of a, a bunch of four teams that could have finished in that position, we weren't a convincing third out of that Premier League team, uh, Premier League season. So, is it? Am I heartbroken that we didn't go through? No, I'm not. Did I expect it? Yes, but you've got to say that I did expect it, even with everything um, taken into account. Even after the, you know, you look at the, the group of six games, obviously after two you're thinking, oh, we're, we're surely going to go through, we can't throw this away. Manchester United always can. And by the way, better Manchester Uniteds have thrown away group stages yeah. as well, so let's not forget that. But I have to keep coming back to this, Dave. The board did not, they, they got him into, he got into the, the competition, which was, 
basically do or die for his own career at the club. And he wasn't backed after. So he wasn't backed with a squad that wasn't... It was technically only just good enough to get into the Champions League. He wasn't good enough to compete in the Champions League. And they're not in the Champions League anymore. So that's 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 the end of it. I, it's just... Let me ask you another one then to round it off because I, I did talk about this with Paul Parker on the the podcast. But it's dangerous when you you bring this up to Manchester United legend because you think, oh my God, they're going to rip your head off for even suggesting it. But Oli got to two semi finals last season. We play in the League Cup the day after that we're recording this podcast with a semi final place at stake. It doesn't help. Oli's position in my mind if he gets to a semi-final of the League Cup this season do you think if we did that and did nothing else let's say that we didn't qualify for the Champions League and we you know let's say we get knocked out earlier than we expect to win the FA Cup than the semi-final for example so the, the, the height of our season let's just theoretically say even if it is or isn't Champions League let's say it's fifth or third in the Champions League spots so we just miss out or we just miss or we just get in um, and we get to the semi-final of the, the League Cup it's going to start to look like a bit of a noose around his neck you know like Wilf McGuinness they say three semi-finals and that's not given to him as a compliment that's given as a negative and do you think that you kind of run the risk I'm not saying it's better to lose in the quarter-final although I I kind of am a little bit. Is it better to just sort of free those fixtures up because the league, the league cup's not going to be seen as a springboard as many people think it is. I don't think it is anyway. I know people have said that it was before for Fergie. But I don't think it would be this time round. Um, I'm not saying that it helps any loss helps Oli, but do you see where I'm coming from with that? The, the, no, I've, no, I get it because. It, it was it was a, a, a noose around Klopp's neck for so long. I mean, he lost five or six cup finals in a row. Um, yeah, it becomes a sort of thing. Became, yeah. It became a problem. But, you know, it, it, it was never celebrated that he got to the finals. It was always it was always deemed a, a tragedy that he lost them. You know, and which is, a final is a tragedy. But if you're getting the five finals, as much as I used to rib him over, you're still making progress, aren't you? And at some point, the shoe's going to drop and you're going to win one and then that's going to lead to more. Um, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying, but if it, it's a difficult one. It's a difficult one because he has to eventually at some point get past that. And, you know, and people could say, well... Not really, not really. I don't, I, we're not good enough to win the Champions League. We're not. Um, are we good enough to win, you know, a cup competition? Like, you know, and even though the Champions League technically is a cup, but it's got all the best games in it. We're good enough to win the Europa League. We're good enough to win the, the League Cup. The FA Cup takes a lot of luck. We all know that. Still my favourite trophy ever. And it takes a lot of luck to win that. But we, we have a chance of winning it, you know, because there's not many better teams in it far more teams that are better than Manchester United than the Champions League. And while it was disappointing to go out, I was kind of like, well, you know what? <laughs> I mean, were we ever going to win it? We're now, in a, we're now in a competition where we could win a trophy. We may look back at, you know, if Solskjaer wins the Europa League, fingers crossed, that may be the foundation he builds success on. You know, Fergie's, Fergie's success was, was built on, on an FA Cup win. Then he went and won the Cup Winners' Cup, and then it just the floodgates opened. Yeah. Um, that's that's just the way it is. I mean, um, I just 
which is not good enough to win the Champions League. I mean, if a team like Manchester City, who have spent so much money trying to win that trophy, still haven't won it, it's very, very difficult to win the Champions League. It really is. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. But to win a League Cup or a Europa Cup, I mean, we got a terrible draw, let's be honest. We got the team that's leading the Spanish. Then I look at that and go, all the wacky results, you know, top of La Liga. It can't really be that good at Barcelona against the either, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, we shall see. It's going to be um, an interesting 2021. Hopefully it'll be a little bit more stable than what 2020 has been. Um, thanks, guys, if you stuck with us to the end of this podcast. Really appreciate that. Um, if you enjoyed it, give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts as well. I'm giving away a copy of my book, 7475, to someone who reviews us on Apple Podcasts so you just tag us in that review on um, Twitter and if I see that and it's nice, well it doesn't have to be nice it can even be mean, um, it gets put into a randomizer and um, and yeah we'll pick a winner but please don't be mean, that would be def- defeating the um, and we apologise for rabbiting on for 90 minutes but yeah, about Swansea <laughs> we, yeah. um, we haven't talked about football on a podcast in a long time and well, now went to Fergie time, and we are indeed. Um, but all even Fergie time has to come to an end, guys. So, yep, thanks for listening. Have a great Christmas and new year, and we will speak to you in 2021. Take care and all the best.